Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. If you're just joining us because it's the new year and you're doing the new year, new me thing, welcome aboard. We really appreciate having you. If you are a longtime listener, I would just like to say I appreciate you just as much. And thank you for making us Canada's number one real estate podcast. My name is Daniel Foch. I'm a real estate broker and investor, and I'm joined here by a handsome young gentleman wow. that goes by the name of Nick Hill. You flatter me. It's amazing. Dan, new, you brought up new year, new me. Are you doing new year, new me? What, what, what are we doing no. new year, new me? Same no, old, same, same, same old guys, old. same old podcast. Yeah. But yes, to reiterate, Dan, welcome back, everybody. New, old, dedicated. If, you, if, this, if you're listening for the first time, good for you. There is a immense amount of value in the 160 episodes of this show so far. And uh, that value does not stop today because we are talking about one of Canada's favorite subjects right now, mortgages. So on today's episode, we're going to be looking at mortgage rates. We're going to be talking about what happens when people can't pay their mortgage. That's a scary thought. Uh, we're going to be talking about when will interest rates come down? Will interest rates go back up again? Of course, we'll touch on things like inflation, recessions, bond yields, uh, and then also what affects the Bank of Canada's decision to actually change that interest rate. So lots to discuss, Dan. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's lots to talk about. Uh, it seems to be the question that everyone's asking right now. So we're going to try and answer them the best that we can. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by not really answering because guess what? No one really knows, including the people in charge of the Bank of Canada, including two lowly guys that sit around and talk about real estate, that being us. But what we do do um, is we present and distill all the data and try to interpret it as best we can. So let's start off, Dan. Yeah. So it's not a coincidence that Canadian mortgage rates have been about as volatile as house prices. The two are inversely cor correlated, which means that typically house prices rise as interest rates fall as they have for nearly 40 years. And house prices fall when interest rates rise, as they have for the past two years. Much of this has to do with the fact that when money is cheap, the economy runs red hot. And when the economy runs red hot, people flock to real estate as an investment or a hedge against inflation. This speculation puts more pressure on the housing market and it exacerbates the inflationary impact, perpetuating the vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. And the impact of a rate increase can take up to four quarters, at least one full year. And, and some people even say to really work its way through the economy it can be up to 18 months. So before they, uh, before like one interest rate will, will take that. Now we've had many interest rates. So after the last seven quarters, our economy is now starting to feel the effects of the 10 interest rate increases that the Bank of Canada implemented over the last 21 months. So we're finally starting to feel the impact of those interest rates. And we're talking about the impacts of the first ones way back when. Now, nearly half of all Canadian mortgages, 2.2 million mortgages are coming up for renewal over the next two years. 
Now, this is leaving many homeowners with the reality of much higher mortgage interest costs at their renewal because a lot of these people, the 2.2 million, a lot of them signed rates in the last few years that were anywhere between, you know, one and three percent. Those rates are now double or triple or quadruple in some cases. Yeah. So some some shock, I think, in, in, in the system about to be experienced. Yeah. And if you really examine that, like a lot of these individuals are seeing their interest costs double or triple or four X, like you're saying, and that could means that their mortgage payments are going up by, you know, 20, 30, 50% in some cases, depending on what their amortization was and how much principal they were paying before. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's interesting because we, one of our investors who, you know, we have an investor who was stuck in a, in a tougher position, a deal that we're in. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're, and and we just got news because he had just been renewing on a one year, to try and, you know, basically just not be exposed to something for too long. There was just, it ended up being a timing issue that that happened probably bought really well in the, before the peak took too long to get permits because the municipality changed something on the way that they were getting permits wasted there. And yeah. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's leasing now and not perfectly cash flow positive, but actually last year that because of that huge renewal jump, the mortgage went from like what was it? It was like twenty five hundred bucks a month to like three or four or thirty five hundred bucks a month. Yeah. But now it's coming back down because rates are on the fixed side are lower mm-hmm. again because mm-hmm. bond yields are coming down. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode because bond yields impact fixed rates. Bank of Canada impacts your variable rates. So on that side, the mortgage rate forecast for Canada is a rate hold until at least mid twenty twenty four with some predictions indicating a rate cut at the March or July announcements. The big six banks all agree in their predictions that while we're not likely to see interest rates come down in time for the spring lending season, February to April, we will see interest rates come down this year. Now that's interesting, Dan, because we've been we've been talking about the potential of a of a stronger spring market, right? I mean, seasonality, cyclicality, that that just happens every year regardless. So it will be interesting to see these predictions and that's all they are these are all just and we're going to read them we're going to read the the big six and and their predictions for each quarter but it will be interesting to see where that first potential cut does happen and if it does time nicely with the spring market because if it does i'm assuming there's going to be a little bit of uh mayhem i don't know I don't know if I would go as far to call it mayhem, but I think we saw a strong spring market in 2023, the strongest spring market in Canadian history if you're just Mm -hmm. looking at price growth in a five-year period. And that came after the worst crash we've ever seen in house prices in in Canadian history in 2022. So right now, bond yields have kind of come down and that matters because anyone, well, actually not anyone in the right mind because people are are starting to get back into the variable, but usually the consumers are rational. So they'll choose the cheaper rate so they can maximize their borrowing power. And so most borrowers are using the five-year fixed right now or a fixed product. And so most borrowers are seeing a reduction in their capital costs or Mm -hmm. an increase in their buying power in the spring because bond yields are lower and bond yields determine what the five-year fix is doing. And so Bond yields have come down, and five-year fixed rates are are coming down by comparing. You know, January, February rates are are lower than October, November rates. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. We we are seeing some movement in the right direction. Finally, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So predictions on 
are mixed uh, from a bank economist perspective on exactly how much and by when we'll start to see rates de- decrease. These predictions, however, are always subject to change depending on geopolitical and macroeconomic conditions. We need to keep an eye on job numbers, unemployment, inflation, and more. But regardless, this is what the big banks are predicting as of now. So why don't you start me off with BMO? Yeah, so uh, BMO is predicting a... So right now it's 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 five percent. We should we should clarify that the the policy rate right now is five percent. So for Q one, no movement there, five percent. So rate hold, but they do see twenty five bip cut in Q two. So the policy rate drops to four point seven five, and then a another cut by Q three of another twenty five bips, bringing the policy rate down to four point five. And then BMO's got the policy rate in Q4 at 4%, which is a full one percentage or 100 basis points lower than we were at right now. So they are predicting three cuts, 125, another 25, and then a 50. So, and it's worth noting that everybody sees policy rate in Q1 being 5%. So yeah, no don't even need on to cover that one. All so. the, the big six, you're right. All the big six are, are in line at that. Not, no movement in Q1. So and then in Q2, in Q2, consensus seems to be that it'll be dropped to 4.75. So you see a 25 basis point cut in Q2, except for National and, and TD, who, ex, who are saying 4.5%. So that'd be a 50 point cut. Yeah. And then in Q3, consensus seems to be that we'll be, in, this is where you kind of get a little bit further away, but the the most common, I guess your mode, which is where that, that data point uh, comes in handy is 4%. So a lot of people are expecting a full hundred basis points in reductions by Q3. And then in Q4, the same thing, policy rate, most people are, most banks are expecting that to be in the, uh, around 4% with some banks expecting it to come all the way down into the threes. You have a three point, yeah. uh, I guess 4% is the higher bound. So why don't we read just each bank and then their prediction? We'll, we'll skip By Q1, the end of the Q2, year. Q3, and we'll just go straight over to Q4. So BMO, uh, again, we're at 5% right now. By Q4, BMO predicts the policy rate will be at 4%. Okay. CIBC predicts that it'll be at 3.5% by the end of the year. Here's where things get nice, and this is the the little bit of an outlier here. National Bank is predicting 3.25% by Q4. RBC is seeing a 4% overnight rate, or sorry, policy rate by Q4. Uh, so Scotiabank, 4%. And TDC is a 3.5%. So we're looking at anywhere from 1 to 1.75%. In, yeah. in total cuts between now, early January, Q1, to the end of the year. I mean, that's that's substantial if, if we see that. Now, it's going to take us a while to get there, but that, you know, 1.75, that's that's no joke. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's interesting from my perspective because, like, 1.75 in cuts, like, when you're getting closer to, like, 200 basis points in cuts by the end of the year, it's like... How bad does the economy have to be for that to to take place, right? Like, so, I don't know if I call that bullish. No, that that again, and and we'll explain what Dan means there as we get deeper into deeper into the show here. But uh, 
I do want to go back to something we said before we started uh, going through the bank predictions here. And again, that's what they are. This is this this is just predictions. It may be from the big banks who probably know a bit more than Dan and I. However, it is it's it's interesting to see. So before we were reading that, we did discuss that nearly half of all Canadian mortgages, 2.2 million of them are coming up for renewal over the next two years. And that's leaving many homeowners with the reality of much higher mortgage costs at renewal. So this begs the question, can these mortgage renewals have an effect on the housing market? And the answer is, yeah, quite possibly they can and they likely will. CMHC estimates that the average monthly mortgage payment could increase by an estimated 30 to 40% as mortgages come up for renewal between 2024 and, and again, 2025 will be another big, uh, big year for that. This means that Canadians as a whole need to find an additional $15 billion within their household budgets to afford housing costs. Dan, you got any change laying around at start yeah, 15 billion? Not that much. So while Canadian homeowners are known for prioritizing their mortgage payments above other financial obligations, housing costs are clearly causing financial strain. And there's a noticeable uptick in mortgage delinquencies year over year, especially when compared to other types of debt. So when we're looking at the 30 to 40% increases in monthly payments, this is likely going to produce a bit of a ripple effect that could jostle the entire housing market. Yeah, kind of scary stuff. So just as a as an example here, let's look at a $500,000 mortgage, which is probably low for most people listening in the GTA here, but a little more standard for, for people listening across the country. $500,000 mortgage with a five-year fixed rate term and a 25-year amortization. That's that's historically the most common mortgage in Canada. So originally, you would have had a 1.94, let's say, 1.94 interest rate. Let's say that jumps up to a 5.45. That's a thousand dollars more in monthly payments. So that's concerning stuff. I mean, we're talking hundreds or thousands of more dollars a month for people. And the worst part about it is, and we've done full episodes on this, is that all of that extra money that you're paying is going to probably just go to the interest portion of your mortgage loan, not even the principal, right? Remember, mortgages have two parts to each payment, principal and interest. And the principal is actually what you are paying to own more of your house, whereas the interest portion is just what you are paying to borrow that money. So you're just paying off more of the cost of the money that you borrowed to purchase that house. And it's not really doing you any favors. That thousands of dollars a month is essentially just disappearing into the bank's vault. Yeah, I mean, the banks are really the big winners here in this whole scenario. So let's move on to what happens in the event that people can't actually pay their mortgage. So renewals are too much for some people. What happens then? The upward trend that we're seeing in mortgage rates has put noticeable pressure on Canada's housing market and consumers with some noticeable consequences. So let's look at a couple of examples of this distress, mainly mortgage delinquencies and power of sales. So Mortgage delinquencies are rising most quickly on mortgages over $850,000. So Nick, can you please dictionary this one for me? Uh, my pleasure. A mortgage delinquency, this just means that we're seeing an increase in mortgages that have been unpaid for more than 90 days. That's what a mortgage delinquency means. To be fair too, like it, 
it is worth noting that you really have to almost be like deliberate about not paying. I think we talked about this a yeah. little bit, but like you have to be deliberate about not pay, not paying a mortgage. Like in that ninety day period, like the bank's like, "Hey, can we help you sell your property? Hey, can we help? You know, are you in financial stress? Can we help you by extending or they don't you know, just shuffling some stuff around? Or like, like you literally would have to ignore every phone call. That, they, you know what I mean? Like they don't for that to show up as a months. data point. So. I think that while delinquencies look exceptionally low in Canada and it's there's it's clear why like there are so many compromises that banks are willing to and now regulated to make based mm-hmm. on these new rules from the from the, that um were announced by Christia Freeland in the um Canadian Mortgage Charter. So anyway, power of sales are are up 100% since last year, right? So so you're seeing them basically doubling. Do you want to do your your thing on this one as well? <laughs> I mean, it's good. Like we, you know, we people got to know what a power sale is, and yeah, the for sure, because sure. everybody hears foreclosures, right? Like Jordan Skrinko, who's a friend of the show, we've had him on here a couple of times. He posted this on on YouTube, like my data from when we were speaking together at Veritas, and in his like thumbnail, he used the word foreclosure because you have to. Like most people are thinking that because when they think about the U.S. and you know foreclosures and and they watch the Big Short too many times. I think this is why a lot of people don't like be lenders as well because they think subprime mortgage. Right. Well, we, and we've talked about that on the show as well, right? Like why there's such a misunderstanding about be lenders, and and there's there's that's one of the reasons that most Canadians still, I think it's like fifty. 446 or something like that that are still just going directly to the bank and and ignoring the broker channel anyways yeah so a power of sale is a legal provision giving the lender the authority to sell the property and secure the mortgage and if you want more terms or you're trying to get caught up on that kind of stuff we did a, a whole episode way back it was like every real estate investing term you need to know and maybe we'll do another episode like that in uh, in the next couple of weeks just for for all our new listeners out there so yeah, Dan, you were saying mortgage delinquencies are, are way up and uh, power of sales are up over 100% in the GTA. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, for sure. And and basically, and so yeah, I guess the, the, the other distinction before we jump on is um, a power of sale is basically when the lender forces you to sell the property as mm-hmm. a seller and a, and a foreclosure is when a lender actually takes possession of the property just so we're clear. And so Alberta has foreclosure. BC has a little bit of a mix of both. In Ontario, you really only see power of sale. And it mm-hmm. just depends on how efficient the court is at taking the process to happen. But power of sale can happen in like a month and a foreclosure can take a year because they have to, have to actually take possession of that house. So since interest rates of rate hikes have started, we've seen everything from protests to letters to the government asking the Bank of Canada to stop. So if Canadians are suffering so badly, why don't they just decrease interest rates? Well, the answer to the question is quite simply, they can't rate now. Um, the central bank's job is to keep inflation in the neutral range of 2 to 3%, and interest rates are essentially the only tool they have to do that. Yeah, great point. Okay, so let's revisit the Bank of Canada for a moment. They're the only ones who can raise or cut rates, but what determines them making that decision? The Bank of Canada makes that decision based on the growth of CPI, the Consumer Price Index. That's reported on by Stats Canada. Now, CPI is calculated from the price of a basket of goods and services typically consumed by Canadians. Again, we've talked about this extensively in other episodes. So CPI represents a broad picture of consumer spending across Canada. It's essentially a way to just kind of take a pulse check the pulse of the market right check the check the consumer sentiment what are people spending money on and how has that price changed 
So using these monetary policy tools, the Bank of Canada aims to maintain inflation as calculated by the changes in CPI within a certain range. So the inflation control target sets a range of 1% to 3% as the ideal range for inflation, with the midpoint of 2% being the common target rate. So the Bank of Canada reviewed its benchmark interest rate eight times a year, and they consider all of these different factors geopolitics, macroeconomics, local, um, they say not political, but um, there are, I would say, definitely political sure. political influences, yeah. especially when you talk about like, you know, go, I don't think you ever see rate hikes during an election year. <laughs> I wonder why. In the US, at least. I don't know yeah. about Canada, but um, so anyway, yeah, they, they, they continue to do this to to control inflation. And a lot of that has to, the inflation piece has to do with the political business cycle where you basically have politicians who create inflation and politicians who destroy inflation. And that's really, in Canada, you see it a lot. It's just like whips of conservative, liberal, conservative, liberal. And, yeah. and the, and this isn't like, this isn't partisan language here. It's, it's just like, that's what the political business cycle, which is theorized by economists that aren't me, um, have, have acknowledged over, centuries of of, mm-hmm. of history yeah i mean so long story short inflation it needs to come down right so let's say it does come down then will rates follow or what if inflation stays where it is do rates stay where they are we've been hearing a lot of this higher for longer talk or what if inflation actually goes up right we're we're so close to that two three percent range but we've seen the levels of volatility in the economy recently you know could inflation go back up and then would rates follow the inflation numbers so let's look at this and discuss and this is what everyone wants to know when will interest rates come down in canada we already went over the bank predictions you know they start in q2 and they and they continue through the rest of the year uh but we're going to go through our own our own ideas here dan so start us off yeah so for me it's not a question of when it's it's why right and it's what would it take for interest rates to come down i think this comes from is this from that zolo article this is from uh yeah i pulled this from uh this zolo article written by this guy named daniel Foch. this piece sounds like a probably doesn't know what he's talking about but uh So interest rates could come down in Canada if any of the following things happen. So if government of Canada bond yields come down, if the market prices in cuts and and kind of tells the government that, or sorry, tells the central bank that that's the expected rate path, which we're seeing take place right now, that could push uh, the bank to start moving rates down. Rates could also come down if inflation reached the neutral range of two to three percent, which we're really not that far off in Canada, no. right? We hit two point six before, and everyone had a had and a party like about it. Three point yeah, we're in the right threes, now, yeah. um, and it Low seems threes. to have kind of flatlined. But like once those big rate, remember a lot of this comes from shelter costs, right? Yeah. So rent inflation, mortgage cost inflation. Once you're past that, the hump that's created by that, that'll all be behind us, right? So. The final one is interest rates could come down if the economy fell into a recession, right? Recessions are deflationary. They're very good at bringing inflation back down. It takes about 16 months, but they typically will get inflation down to the neutral range. And so if the economy falls into a recession, the government probably would be in a hurry to get rates down to stimulate the economy to do the opposite, have the opposite impact of what we're talking about right now. So let's start with bond yields, I guess. So number one, bond yields. Perhaps the most appropriate starting point when answering the questions, when will interest rates come down in Canada, is to say that they already have, right? Several Canadian lenders reduced their fixed rate mortgages in early November. 
This was when the government of Canada's five-year bond yield dropped from nearly 4% to the 3.6% to 3.7% range. Other Canadian banks echoed the reduction of 30 basis points. Uh, they then reduced their fixed mortgage rate interest rates by a similar amount. So this begs the question, why did that happen? So Government of Canada bond yields play an essential role in mortgage rates. Historically, five-year fixed mortgage rates trade around 200 basis points or 2% higher than the Government of Canada's five-year bond yield. This is why you often hear that fixed mortgages are priced at GOC plus 2%. We talked about this a couple of times on the show, GOC being the Government of Canada bond yield. So the market determines the bond yield at, by by paying a price for the mark for the, for those bonds on the market, and that serves as almost like a forecasting mechanism. And the forecast is on whether or not the market expects interest rates to rise or fall during that period of the bond. So if it's a ten year bond and it's high, and this is where you hear that a lot of people using the two year ten year spread on as a as an indicator of recession mm-hmm. when that inverts. The price of the bond determines the yield and the market determines the bond's price. So this is what it means when somebody says um, interest rate hikes or cuts are being priced in by the market. Yeah, exactly. Dan. And if any of that sounded confusing to you, uh, go back to episode 141. Can you predict mortgage rates using bonds where we do an extensive deep dive into what is a bond, the history of bonds, how they're used, and how you can get a bit of a prediction going based off of the bond market. So now I want you to imagine you're a bank. You have two options. The first is you can lend money to the Canadian government. The second option is you can lend to homeowners. You purchase a government of Canada bond when you lend to the Canadian government. The yield or earnings, they pay you on that they pay you on that bond is akin to that interest rate. So in the alternative scenario, you would be able to lend money to a Canadian homeowner by giving them a mortgage. It sounds a little bit more risky than the Canadian government, right? So as a lender, you might charge them a premium for the risk that you perceive. Uh, you know, maybe the Canadian government can't necessarily lose its job. <laughs> and so rather than expecting them to pay the 3.65% that the Canadian government pays, you might expect them to pay 5.65% or a 2% risk premium above what the government pays. This is how you get fixed mortgage rates that are priced relative to bonds with a similar duration. So while the Bank of Canada can control the variable interest rates through their overnight rate, and that decides lenders' prime rate, they can only partially control how the market prices bond yields and, and forecast rates, and they can influence the market with their language and response to the data points that the market uses to price bonds, such as employment or inflation, which we'll discuss next. So let's look at inflation. Another condition that might cause mortgage rates to come down in Canada is if inflation does reach that neutral range. And the neutral range is at which the Bank of Canada feels that the economy is growing moderately and that purchasing power is being reduced at a sustainable rate. So again, this goes back to the concept of hard landings and soft landings. The economy is a big, delicate thing. We don't want to jostle it around. We don't want to have a hard landing because things will break. So we have to guide it back to that 2 to 3%. So if inflation does reach that target of 2 to 3%, the Bank of Canada should consider cautiously reducing interest rates slowly 
to see how it impacts inflation. Now, if we look back at the hiking cycle that we just experienced, not only was it a, an aggressive hiking cycle because of where it started and where it finished, but it was also aggressive based off of how quickly it happened, right? We always heard, you know, this is one of the most aggressive hiking cycles in history. Or this is, it was just so quick the way that it happened. Now, again, going back to the top of the show, we know that it takes, let's say, a year or more for one interest rate hike to be felt in the economy. Now, again, you add several interest rate hikes, their pain is going to keep on coming. So the more pressing questions are, how far would interest rates go down from where they are now? They would likely not be reduced to the record low levels that we saw during the pandemic, given that the economic emergency required low rates to keep the economy moving, right? We had to lower rates back then because we were in, remember when everyone said unprecedented times, like seven times a day? Man, I'm happy we are past that. But unprecedented going, use of the word unprecedented. There we go. And, and going back to those unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented times, we, you know, we didn't have a choice but to but to go to very low rates to, you know, pump some consumer sentiment into the economy. But now that that's all done and we're, you know, living in a different world, we have to ask ourselves what could cause inflation to get back to that neutral range. I could have one guess, and I think we I mentioned it in the summary, but I think recessions are a good way of getting inflation down. And it's not, and, they and sure are. Ben Tao says this a, a lot. Like, I, and I watch the guy speak a lot because I'm fortunate enough to speak alongside him sometimes. And um, he says, you know, if the Bank of Canada has to choose between an inflation and a recession, they will choose a recession every single time. So the most likely path towards inflation reaching the neutral range is a recession, which we're all already likely seeing in Canada. They did revise us away from it. Right, right. I forgot but, you could just change definitions yeah, and, yeah. and things in reality change. That'd be nice. I yeah. am now a millionaire. Yeah. So over the history of the financial system, recessions have taken an average of 16 months to bring inflation back to the neutral range, according to economist Michael Cantor. Uh, the sorry, Cantro. Um, the Bank of Canada may proactively reduce interest rates if the economy slips into a recession to try and engineer something called a soft landing, which you hear a lot, uh, or a softening of that economic impact. So this rate reduction would stimulate the economy by making borrowing money less expensive, encouraging businesses and business activity to grow and invest by using debt. I'm just going back to the, because we had so much fun with this, the soft and hard landing stuff, Dan. So again, just a reference for, again, if you're new to the show, uh, we do reference a lot of other episodes just because we've been doing this for a while and we've we've talked about a lot of different things. So if you want to know more about what a soft landing or what a hard landing is, it comes up multiple times, but we did a full episode on it. Episode 129, Can Real Estate Survive a Hard Landing, uh, Snoop Dogg and... Samuel L. Jackson both make an appearance it's in that true, episode. Yeah, so <laughs> as guests, they weren't really guests. I, honorable mentions, cameos. Yeah, kind of guests. So yeah, go back and check that out if you want more information on can we actually survive that hard landing. So kind of in closing, you know, if you see one of these things take place, the other is likely close behind. These These three things are all semi-intertwined the only scenario you wouldn't see them all occur is that the economy is in stagflation where gdp is contracting and inflation is still persistent we really don't want to go there 
That is not somewhere we want to be. Yeah, you don't want stagflation. Not to be confused with swagflation, which is when your <laughs> swag is improving <laughs> in your life. I have never... I've been lucky enough to never experience swagflation or stagflation yeah, well, so far. But, I went uh, through a phase of swagflation when I was in uh, high school, so... <laughs> Didn't we all back then? Yeah. So, I mean, knowing when interest rates come down is a, is a double-edged sword, right? On the on one hand, you've got the reality that lower interest rates could make mortgage payments more affordable and increase buying power for potential home buyers. But Dan, on the other side of things... Oh, sorry. On the other side, you now understand that if mortgage rates come down, you prompted me so loudly there too. Because <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah. We have like, so so just for context, we've been kind of playing around with video and um, we have like this like automatic camera switching thing that I've purchased. Is it really that automatic is, though? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm sitting here like trying to problem solve kind of actively. Um, anyway, so because like there's a lot of people that are just doing really well in the video space in uh, we are in not one of them. And, yeah and so and we're not among them so we're trying to drive some more traffic towards the podcast from social media and uh and the, anyway so so that's why i just got distracted here and you might have heard me distracted or you might even hear a mouse clicking the odd time where i'm trying to switch from <laughs> nick's camera to my camera so um anyway if anybody listening actually is good at this stuff feel free to give us a shout Reach we'd, out. Have, we'd love happily, some help uh, pay you a consulting fee to, yeah. uh, to help us fix that problem but anyway on the other side of the the double-edged sword that we're talking about you now understand that if mortgage rates come down it's likely due to the economy suffering and it's hard to say whether or not that's good for housing right mm. like you know a six and a half percent or seven percent unemployment rate isn't pro is probably not a market in which i would say you're going to see a strong housing market and this is why it often after you see these huge counter cycles like we saw in the 90s it often takes a really long time for the market to start ripping again you yeah. almost see it go sideways for years and so yeah. while i don't like to forecast i try and avoid it actually it, it would be worth saying okay and we talked about this in episode one or two of this podcast where what happened the last couple of times we saw interest rates go up? Why did it take place? What you know? What were the recessionary impacts? What happened to house prices after that? It's worth looking at history and saying, could this happen again? And and just factor that in as a potential outcome in in your real estate investment decisions. Okay, would I still be happy with this investment if it took? 10 years to get back to the price that it was worth in 2021 or if prices were, went sideways for te for five years or 10 years would i still be happy with this investment if the answer is yes then it's probably worth doing and that's what that's that's a summary of downside risk analysis or yeah. downside risk management right there it's like are you comfortable with the downside this is why i'm, I'm bearish right it's like i i other than like a, like the, the cowboys that we work with like who just buy <laughs> everything like all the time like but I, like i i buy and invest in, in a lot of real estate mm -hmm. and I'm very bearish. And the reason that that takes place is because I've said, okay, here's the worst case scenario. Am I okay with it? Yes. This is a good investment then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, look, the first cut, by the way, the, the bank of Canada's rate schedule is it starts later this month. So Jan 24th will be the first one. Everyone's expecting nothing to happen. March, still nothing maybe you know april 10th june 5th july 24th we start to see some action if you're waiting for that first 25 bit cut to purchase i think you've got it wrong i i you know first of all 25 bips isn't going to if 25 bips on on a mortgage rate makes or breaks 
your investment thesis or makes or breaks yeah, you your investment deal. You might need to come up with a different thesis or maybe just go put your stuff in, in an ETF. I hear Bitcoin's got one now. So, you know, go do something like that. Um, Did you see what actually happened with that? Like, No. So, I, so, I mean, I saw like 30 people post about it. Yeah, all. so it came from the SEC Twitter. And then basically they, so the original tweet came out saying Bitcoin's spot ETF has been approved. And then um, right after that, they like shortly after and Bitcoin went up way like bigly, right. Yep. And then it came, and then basically they came out saying SEC Twitter was hacked. I and, no way. And then it, yeah. And then it, <laughs> then it basically just went off like right away. So <laughs> anyway, it kind of fascinated me because now, you know, like now you can know how the market's going to respond to that's yeah a little bit of foreshadowing there so now someone just needs to it hack you, into the bank of canada's twitter yeah. and be like rate cuts are coming and see what happens there and i actually it wouldn't surprise me because it wouldn't surprise me if that took place because like it seems like they don't, always don't leak do that these, anyone that's listening not Please, that but we are like, not endorsing that yeah not that but like it seems like they do kind of leak these policies early to see what the reception is like and yeah, be like oh that's a bad idea leaked. yeah or like yeah. to see if like there's other feedback that they can get from like these like twitter threads where they're where they're yeah, like oh we should add that's a great idea we yeah. should add that to the policy but this one was interesting because it literally was like a huge green candle and then a huge red candle yeah. and um and it's it makes me wonder like if it was actually hacked or if like it was literally just their social media manager being like accidentally <laughs> yeah. like hitting the schedule you wrong to send that out for three hours yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly because it was expected it's expected to be um approved today wednesday yeah. january 10th which is quite a bit you'll hear this episode like a week later but Today's Wednesday, January tenth, and it's supposed to be approved today. But it was, yeah, it was a, a little bit of a roller coaster for what, that period of time when it was too kind, funny. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, enough enough Bitcoin. Let let's finish this off strong, Dan. So you were just giving some some great advice on on what this means for Canadian investors, and that can mean you if you're trying to buy your first property. That can mean you if you're trying to buy your fifth property, your tenth property, or yeah. if you're trying to renovate or whatever investment thesis, whatever area you're in, whatever you're trying to accomplish, what does this mean for you? Well, in my opinion, it shouldn't mean a whole lot. Now, obviously, mortgage rates and, and interest rates play a massive role in in real estate investing. That's why we've seen such little activity. That's why we've seen the lowest sales in, in decades in the GTA here, right? There was less than 66,000 transactions, lowest transaction volume in, in decades. And and unfortunately, that 66,000 sales is, is dispersed among 77,000 agents, right? So a lot of people not doing deals out there right now. You know, Speaking to real estate professionals is one thing, but we're speaking to pr probably primarily investors or at least people that are maybe a bit of both, right? You're a real estate investor and a real estate agent or a mortgage agent or whatever. Obviously, this stuff is important. It's great to see what the banks are predicting, but you should be running your own numbers at five plus percent, right? If a mortgage, if you're, again, if you're waiting for something to drop 25 or, or 50 bips, it's likely not a good deal anyways. So this just means to go out and find better deals and to start looking at stuff like power of sales or potentially foreclosures. If you're in a different province, if you're listening from Alberta, you know, mortgage delinquencies, we'll, we'll keep tracking that. But, uh, you know, for me, the, the main takeaway is, um, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, abiding by the fundamentals of real estate investing, which are adding value, working with the right people. And, you know, again, a 25 BIP 
cut isn't going to make or break anybody at this point. And anything else you got there, Dan? Not really. Um, maybe just worth doing a bit of housekeeping before we wrap up here. So we have we have uh, meetups across the country that we would love for you to to be at. We just had one. Uh, I guess a lot of the Ontario ones got canceled because of the big storm that we had on Not the, mine on the ninth. There, Nick's didn't because people don't have to drive to Nick's because he's an urbanite and everyone <laughs> just walks everywhere down in Liber- Liberty Village. But with so we have Calgary. Calgary's was good. Yep. Um, Edmonton, and we are we're looking for for local partners at, for all of these um, meetups. Yeah, we're bringing people in Vancouver on yeah. people in Surrey. Peterborough just got fired up. Like literally, this stuff is happening across yeah. the country, guys. Yeah, um, and if your if your city has a Canadian brew house in it, it's super easy for you to become a meetup host because you already have a venue because they've um, been kind enough to put up their venues for these to um, participate. We're working on a similar partnership in Ontario because there's only two Canadian brew houses in Ontario, and I guess Ontario and East, but. Yeah, we're looking for realtors, lawyers, mortgage professionals who want a good opportunity to be promoted on the show and be promoted at these um, events to to basically sponsor these events, host them, be be there as a host, a panelist, etc. We have an amazing community built already. We have awesome like the the first ones we launched were in Alberta with Cash and Homes and and Calvert Mick as an example, and they have put on amazing events. They've grown their meetup group to like 450 people. They're getting like. They, I think she said last night it was 70%. Shout out to Candace, by the way, but um, who, who, who hosts on behalf of Cashin and checks into our monthly meetup groups. But basically, 70% new people, they're getting deals, they're doing deals, there's big investors going. Um, so if you want to if, if be part of that growing community, we would love to have you. Just give us a shout, send us a sh- uh, message to the show or send me a message on Instagram, Nick a message on Instagram, whatever social media platform you want. And... That is that whole infrastructure is kind of designed to, to feed into this big national community that we're trying to, to put together so we can have a big national event where we host thousands of investors, hundreds of investors from coast to coast in one place, talk about all the things that are important to us as investors. And so that's something that we're really working to do well for the end of the year. I think we'll probably we're, we're probably going to have a, um, an early bird yeah. kind of ticket thing yeah. for that. Big, we'll do a big national event basically by the end of the year. Targeting, targeting kind of, I think it's early, early October. So. Early October, and it would be Toronto. Yeah, early October in Toronto. Um, not really going to give too many other details away yet just because it's it's early days for, for us. And, and this is just. Yeah, we don't have said a, details. A crazy amount of, well, we kind of do, but they might change. It's a crazy amount of planning to get this done. And, and just like with everything Dan and I do, we want to do it the best way possible. Well, a big piece is also like putting together an event is a huge undertaking. And it's also like you can, you can do it like, like everyone else does. And, and our goal is and not, not, we don't want to be like unicorns, but, but like we think that that market is already tapped. Like everybody's really done a good job. And so we have to, we have to do something different to stand out. And so it's like, we could do it uh, like a lot of the other events in the real estate space. And it could be, you know, maybe like a 200 t- ticket price kind of event and, or, or we could do what I think the industry needs and what we're hoping to do, which is going to be probably a little bit more expensive. And so we're just trying to figure out how to, whether or not the audience is receptive to that, how to execute it properly. So it, honestly, if you have any, any um, commentary on what you think about what it would look like for us to, to put on an annual event to 
have all of our audience gathered together and yeah. what kind of content you want, what kind of panelists you want, what kind of sponsors you want to see. Do you want to see a, um, you know, a big uh, vendor hall with tables and you can interact with prop techs and get discounts and just like talk to us. We want to hear from what our audience wants because that's really who we're serving here. So I think that's all I got. Yeah. Love it. A uh, lot of exciting stuff. Early on in the year, Dan and I are planning big years uh, for both of us on both the real estate acquisition side, growing the podcast. We're about to hit a million downloads, which is which is just awesome. We'll definitely talk to you guys about that when we get there. Uh, and we want to just see growth across every across all platforms, right? In in the digital world and in real life. So, if you want to be part of anything we're doing reach out. There's power numbers and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you got a ton of value out of today's episode and uh, we will talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317 Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.